This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. Your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the machines that can now very easily clone my voice. In fact, what you are listening to right now is an AI-generated clone. I'm not kidding. Hello, hello, hello. I won't be doing my normal intro today because my Danny bot just did it. It's wild, right? So that was actually a bot that you just heard. Um, wasn't quite me, but it was pretty close. And I want to get to how that happened in just one second. But I want to first introduce who we have on the program today, who is one of my favorite people to talk to about the internet, misinformation, social media, and generally the landscape of online life. And that is Hani Farid. He is a professor at UC Berkeley who spends his waking hours analyzing misinformation, the latest tools that are making it always easier to develop. He also spends a lot of time with lawmakers on Capitol Hill about how to rein in the worst aspects of all of this stuff. And as you will hear, when we're talking, he mentions in our conversation just how easy it is to clone people's voices now. So in the context of politics, in the context of fraud, this is pretty unsettling. So after we got off, I tried it. And so there's a startup called Eleven Labs. And for five bucks a month, you just upload any voice recording that all has to be at least one minute. You type in whatever you want that voice to say after it kind of ingests that information and presto. And that is what you just heard at the top there. So, and to be honest, I only uploaded about 30 seconds. They say you should have at least a minute. So I put in less than what they recommended and that was the result. And that was instant and again, five bucks. Now, like I said, it's not exactly me, but this is a $5 beta product for consumers. You can see how this will get perfect and probably very quickly. I mean, I'm sure it already is, especially when you're talking about bigger companies, governments, etc. So I wanted to highlight that because one of the things we have touched on a bit lately in all these AI podcasts is how this new age brings with it huge dangers, perhaps most immediately the danger of how 
it's increasingly easy to make high fidelity misinformation from photos of fake people to voice synthesizers, chat bots that are human-like. And when you put all of that together, you can see how this can get dark very quickly, especially as we barrel toward a big election in America, which I argue is going to be the first AI election. And I think it's going to be a total mess because it just, again, it's now so cheap and easy to create extremely believable fakery. Anyhow, that is why I brought on Hani today to talk about all of that, who, as I said, he is one of the best people in the world to give a sense of where this tech is, the potential regulations that might be put in place to kind of control it, and just the real danger it presents to society. So lastly, before I hand over to that discussion, I just want to say very clearly, I am not an AI doomer. I'm not saying that this is the beginning of the end of society as we know it, or humanity, or all of these warnings that we're increasingly hearing these days about AI is going to kill us all or enslave us all or destroy society. But I do think it is worth having real conversations about this technology, what it's actually capable of, and what that means. Again, we're just when we're thinking about politics, when we're thinking about fraud. You know, if somebody can impersonate anybody, leave voicemails for elderly parents, say, you know, send money here, I need it, whatever it may be, you can see where this goes. Anyhow, I think you'll find this conversation really interesting. So I'm going to get to it right now with Hani Fareed of UC Berkeley. Enjoy. Whenever there's like some development or kind of lurch in technology, I'm like, I've got to call Hani because I feel like, as you said before we started recording, like, we're just inching, inching toward uh, something. Something. Yeah. Look, okay. Just this week or in the last two weeks, here's, here's what we've seen. An image purportedly showing a bombing of the Pentagon went viral on Twitter and the stock market dropped a half a trillion dollars in two minutes. That's insane. And by the way, it was not a very good image. I saw that image and I was like, really? How this didn't, yeah. it wasn't even clear it was the Pentagon, but someone just said it was. Yes. Well, this is what was so interesting about that story is that this was really a story about the failures of Twitter. Yeah. Because it was it was on a verified account that looked like Bloomberg. They allowed RT to retweet and then amplify that. And so this was really a more social media failure than a gen AI. But the stories were more about the generative AI aspect of it. Right. This week on Russian television was a video, a deepfake video of Putin saying that he's going to essentially uh, induce martial law and start and civilians are going to have to fight in the war. It was a deepfake video hacked into the television station. That's insane. Yes. Um, I will tell you without telling you, I can't tell you specific details, but I will tell you we're now seeing these attacks on live Zoom calls where our various leaders of the world are on Zoom calls, very much like what you and I are on right now, Danny, and they're not talking to who they think they are. So now the deep fakes are being made in real time, not just offline. And here's the question you got to be asking yourself, how do you know this is me at this point? I don't. I don't. So what, how do, yeah, I don't even know how to verify you. Like you might be a bot, right? Or like a, or a deep fake merged with a large language model. Yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. So the other day, one of my students called me on the phone and the person talking to me at the other end was my voice. Uh, they had cloned my voice that is spooky. and done text to voice where they had me saying some things and I'm talking to myself and it was I, I thought it was I thought I was in a dream. I just couldn't 
I couldn't make sense of it. I didn't understand what was happening. And then it, it took me a few beats. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, things are getting pretty weird, man. Very. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So why I wanted to, to catch up with you is because since, I mean, we spoke probably at some point last year, I'm sure. But it's, you know, since then we've had, you know, ChatGPT and, this ex- and mm-hmm. interestingly, this explosion of open source models and this idea that I think, you know, this idea that we're going to have this kind of whatever you want to call it, intelligence on tap, misinformation on tap, whatever, that this is going to Mm -hmm. just be a tool that is going to be free and easy, easily accessible to anyone. And if you're a state actor or somebody, you can make really, really powerful tools. Um, So you have chatbots, you have, as you mentioned, voice synthesizing programs that can be trained on like, I don't know, a few minutes of my voice and have me say anything. Two minutes. You need about two minutes of good audio and that's it. Yeah, that's it. So I have, you know, hundreds of hours of podcasts. So someone could make a a Danny bot. Very Very easily. easily. And by the way, I I think you said something important here, Danny. So let's, let's pull on that thread a little bit, which is it's not just that I can clone your voice, but I can take the whole body of your podcasts, transcribe that, and then train a large language model, a chat GPT, to synthesize, hey, have uh, write me a piece, a question and answer with Professor Hani Farid about deep fakes, and then synthesize your voice. So it's the, it's the content generation, it's the voice generation, and of course, we're quickly entering into the video generation mm. as well. Yeah, and so also there's that, that piece. So there's things like mid-journey, so you can, with a text prompt, create fake people photorealistic images that are like oh my god that's a person that yeah. does not exist yeah. and now also we've had on this podcast last month the guys from runway who have done the text to video and ai graphics which are again i mean a lot of them are kind of weird i don't know if you've seen some like like the beer commercials that have been created and they just look yeah deeply dystopic and kind of bizarre but it's kind of all it's all happening it's coming yeah. It's all coming. I mean, the where you see mid-journey and stable diffusion and Dolly right now and text-to-image, which is very, very good, um, text-to-video is coming. Um, give me not an image of the Pope in a puffy white coat, but give me a video of the Pope in a puffy white coat walking down the street. Um, that is coming. Months, years, I don't know, but it's coming, and people are working on it. And, and you know, suddenly our whole reality – Right, every image, every sound, every video, every live Zoom call, and I can tell you because I'm. This is my world now. Every time I get on a call now, I'm just a little suspicious. There's a little part of me. I got a phone call the other day from a very high-profile lawyer, and I'm like, "Is this him?" I like, I, I just like, for the first few minutes, and then he finally said something that I knew only the two of us knew. Right. But man, it's just it really is troubling to me that I'm walking through the world fundamentally skeptical of everything and everybody I see. <laughs> so I have a couple questions. One is around just, you know, I'm, I don't know if you saw yesterday or the day before, Mark Andreessen put out this big anti-AI doomerism thing where he's like, basically, yeah. AI is going to kind of make the world such a better place in so many ways. And the kind of core of his argument is like, Basically, extrapolating this idea that like smart people do better in life, 
if this makes everybody smarter, if this makes the whole race smarter, we can get smarter about how we approach things, how we do things, how we distribute goods through society, whatever it may be. It was a kind of a very simplified argument, but basically he's like, all these doomers don't know what they're talking about, and they're kind of concentrating on edge cases that aren't going to be true. Where do you sit in the kind of the doomer spectrum of where we are, especially when we talk about what you concentrate on, misinformation, this era of zero-cost bullshit which we are entering? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I I, I want to be optimistic about the world, about human beings, about technology, but... It's hard to look at the last 20 years of technology and say, you know, everything's been going really well. <laughs> and so why should I worry? Yeah. So that's the thing is you have to think about this AI revolution in the context of the last 20 years. And honestly, social media is sort of a hellscape. It is not a pleasant place. And large parts of the Internet have tapped in the worst of human nature. And am I optimistic that simply throwing these incredibly powerful AI machines is going to lift us all up and make the world full of rainbows and unicorns? No, um, I'm not. I, I think left to its own devices, we will continue down this road of ugliness and conspiracies and hate and vitriol and stupidity that is the internet without real interventions. And so I am not a techno-utopist. I don't simply believe that because this is a cool technology, we will do cool things with it. The one thing we know is that when you put powerful technology in the hands of billions of people, they do some of the most awful things imaginable yeah. with it. And that is not hypothetical. The first examples of the use of deep fake was the creation of non-consensual sexual imagery. We've seen small and large-scale fraud. We have seen disinformation campaigns. We have seen conspiracies. It's not like we're looking at the landscape saying that the, the doomers are hypothesizing what's going to happen. It is happening, and it's happening on the backs of an already pretty ugly internet. So, you know, do I think there is a scenario where we get out of this and the world is a better place for it? Sure. But I also think there's a scenario that is not that yeah. and that things get decidedly worse. And I think that letting the industry self-regulate and say, eh, everything will be fine. Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, they've got this covered, I think is spectacularly naive. Yeah. Um, governments have to start getting involved and thinking about how to regulate in a way that keeps us safe, guardrails, but also allowing for innovation and for the advancement of technology and science. So... I believe you, uh, you've testified in Congress before about various bits and pieces of this. Yeah. But this was a kind of pre-AI age, as Bill Gates has said, what we are now entering. Do you have a sense to that very point around regulation? Because, you know, we had Sam Altman sitting there saying, you know, we want regulation. We want the equivalent of like, you know, an international atomic energy association, whatever yeah. it may be. Do you have a sense of where things are? Because it does feel like we're doing a lot of navel-gazing and talking. Meanwhile, the, the industry is just galloping ahead. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I, I think we have to stop dragging these CEOs in front of Congress and asking them what we should do. I mean, <laughs> and I think Sam Altman's claims that we want regulation are incredibly disingenuous because mm -hmm. minutes after that, he was in Europe telling regulators not, in fact, to regulate the space. So I just stop dragging these guys. They have nothing to tell us. So here's some good news, I think, is that I recently testified before the Senate, Senate Judiciary, and Senator Blumenthal said something really, I thought, important, which he said, look, we dropped the ball 
on the first 20 years of the internet and social media. We screwed up social media, really, because that social media feels like that's, you know, mid-aughts to now, basically. that's right. And we screwed it up. We should not screw this up. So I think there is a recognition that this very hands-off approach that the U.S. government took largely is not working Mm. and that there is a real desire to try to get it right this time. That's the good news. The other good news is in my conversations with the, our various senators and members of Congress, is there really is a hunger to try to understand the technology and what is happening and what we can and what we should do. And I don't think you can say that about the, the, the previous uh, 10 yeah. years. Now, whether that will get us to sensible, reasonable, proportional legislation is a different question. I'm cautiously optimistic. I've been having lots of conversations with folks on the hills over the last few months. There are some pretty good draft legislation, but of course what's going to happen is the technology sector is going to come in and the same people who said, please regulate us, are going to start beating back this regulation and watering it down. And what comes out the other end, we'll have to see. But I think that there is a hunger to do something both here in the EU, in the UK, in Australia, and other parts of the world. And I think it remains to be seen if there's a political appetite to get it right this time. I want to put a pin in that and come back to it, but just get a sense from you, given that you've been kind of studying this stuff for years and years and years and years, like, how do you assess this moment in terms of the power of this technology, the ubiquity of it, the kind of easy, you know, I, I turned myself into a claymation for free in like 10 seconds it was crazy yeah um so like the stuff is like really kind of and it's just kind of it feels like every other day there's some new thing where you're like oh wow like this stuff is really powerful so i'm just what what is your sense of kind of this moment in which we find ourselves i have a very split way of thinking about this there's a part of me that like you danny's like this is amazing Look at what I can do. It's creative. It's fun. It's entertaining. You can see the power of it. Mm -hmm. But almost immediately after that, I'm slightly horrified. Um, Because in my world, I spend a lot of time thinking about how bad actors weaponize technology, Mm -hmm. whether that's the internet, social media, or now generative AI. And you can see the weaponization of these technologies very easily. And you can see that we are making almost exactly the same mistakes that we made over the last 20 years, which is develop a technology, put it out there, hope for the best, bad things start happening, deny that they're happening, eventually admit that they're happening, and then try to backfill in safeguards. That's what we're doing again. Yeah. And that that roadmap doesn't work. We've already tried that. And so I'm frustrated that we seem to be doing the same exact mistake, which is beta testing a technology on the public to the tune of billions of people and hoping for the best. And, you know, I, I don't think the best is going to happen. How bad it gets, I think, is is a different question. But so I'm I'm both excited by the technology and also terrified by it. And I think that there is a ground here. There is a road or a path that we could follow that says, look, this stuff is great, but we need guardrails like we do in the offline world. We don't release physical products in the offline world without safety measures. So why do, why do we treat technology differently? I've always been baffled by this. Yeah, yeah, this idea that, oh, well, you just don't get it. There's like, you know, there's just all this magic happening behind the curtain. It's very complex and you won't understand. Yeah. So therefore we can't regulate it in the same way as we would toys or cigarettes or food or anything yeah, else. But 
Have you ever looked at an airplane? How complicated? Airplanes are incredibly complicated. <laughs> Everything modern is complicated. Yeah. You can't. This idea that it's complicated is 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 I think nonsense. So we're May June now, twenty twenty three. There's now already about eighty three Republican candidates for president. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really. This will be. It'll still be the first AI election. Yeah. Which. To your point where we started, you have the kind of this new Twitter and generally social media is what it is. To your point, it, like despite all of our hand wringing, there have been no meaningful regulations passed, no. at least in America, which is insane. And then you have this generation of tools that can make really high fidelity fake stuff. Yes, yes. How concerned are you about our upcoming AI election when we think about the, you know, that idea of like people kind of fake, you know, computer generated people getting into Zooms or having a video go viral on the Internet or even like on, you know, network news, whatever. It does feel quite scary. Yeah, well, let's get a few things straight. It's already started um, minutes after President Biden announced his run for reelection. The RNC released an ad. And every single image in the ad was synthetically generated with AI, showing these doomsday predictions. If Biden oh, gets elected, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. this will happen. And then they showed this image of it. Now, you know, they fess up at the end. But again, you see the power of that visual imagery. Mm. Here's another one just from this week. The DeSantis campaign released an anti-Trump ad um, showing a series of photos of Trump and Fauci. Half of them were real and half of them were fake, showing Trump embracing and kissing Fauci. This, it's already started. Uh, here's another one. Almost every week over the last month, I've gotten a call from a reporter saying, we have an audio that purportedly shows uh, President Biden on a hot mic saying, and then go down the list. And they've, they're all fake, every single one of them. And so we've already started to see it. There was a fake video of Harris um, as well going, making the rounds. And so I think this has started, and I think the difference between this election and the previous election and the previous election is that two things. One is the technology, of course, has gotten much, much better. So the images coming out of these techniques are incredibly realistic, but also they're incredibly easy to use. A staffer can go to Discord and type in a few sentences and, and in minutes get 20 images, right? So there's no more barrier to entry. You don't have to go to GitHub and download a repo and compile it on your machine. And it's all now, it's all, it's all accessible. And you've already started to see people weaponize it. And I think two things are going to happen. The campaigns are absolutely going to use it. Russians are going to use it to interfere with our election. The trolls are going to use it. Average person are going to use it. And then what's going to happen is there's going to be so much poisoning of the online ecosystem that when... Joe Biden actually says something inappropriate. I mean, you're like, well, what do, how do I know that's real? Right? Yeah. Everything, everything is in doubt now. There's not, nothing is real anymore. And what happens, by the way, when we enter that world is we all become even more tribal. Mm -hmm. right? Facts become irrelevant. Information and data becomes irrelevant. And you look, I know what I know. And then everything else is, is noise. And that is a very dangerous thing for a democracy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah. And so the question is, okay, Dr. Hanifried, you have, I anoint you tech, you know, czar of America. We have this election coming. To your point, it is... It costs zero dollars and takes zero time because the way I think about it is like the unlock here for AI is that like if you think of the human operating system as language, Mm -hmm. computers have now cracked that. The barriers to entry are zero in terms of doing whatever you wanted, all that terrible stuff you just mentioned. So we're operating in this new world. How do you, when we talk about regulation and how to like you know, stop pollution from kind of overtaking the information ecosystem. It feels kind of too big, you know, too big to kind of govern. How do you how do you do it? What are the practical ways you can approach it? So first of all, I appreciate the promotion. Uh, No problem. No, it's not does not come with increased pay. (laughs) Damn it. Um, Okay. So I have two answers to this. One answer is unplug social media. We're done. It's a failed experiment. Twitter goes away. Extreme. Facebook goes away. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. I'll, I'll say that, not to sidetrack you, but like, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, around this this idea that we might ban TikTok. And everybody's yeah. like, you can't do that. I'm like, the, you know, because it's the most popular platform. I was like, but why? Yeah, you can. Yeah. No, my, my thing is, if you're going to ban TikTok, Go all the way. Get rid of them all. <laughs> I mean, why stop at TikTok? Let's let's go after Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I mean, and, and YouTube and and and, right. and Twitter. So that's the facetious answer. Here's the more serious one that I think is both will t- take a, a bite out of this and actually could be done. Which is there's sort of three pillars of how we think about authentication and trust and truth. One pillar is our bread and butter, which is given an image, a video, or an audio, how do I analyze it to determine if it really is Biden, is really is the Pope in a puffy coat? So we call these uh, passive techniques. Yep. We wait for content to show up on the internet. Somebody sends it to me and we look at it. And you know, we can, we can do some really cool things, but the problem is that content is already on the internet. And a half-life of a social media post is measured in a few minutes. By the time we get our hands on it, it this is all post-mortem. Yep. Right? So that doesn't really sort of address your core problem. It's good for reporters and people like you who want to sort of figure out what happened downstream. The other two pillars go something like this, which is that when I pick up my phone and take a photo of police brutality, of a human rights violation, of a president speaking at, at a rally, my device will authenticate who I am, where I am, when I'm there, and what I recorded. And take all that information, cryptographically sign it, and put a signature onto a type of distributed ledger. It doesn't have to be a blockchain. I don't want to, you just, but you can imagine that's something like that. Yeah. 
So almost like a watermarking. Almost like a watermarking and fingerprinting. And then downstream, when that piece of content shows up on Twitter, purportedly of the Pentagon being bombed, well, Twitter can instantaneously say, hey, this looks like breaking news. Can we verify that this image is real? No? Okay. Simply don't don't recommend it. You don't have to ban it. You don't, you're just saying this is not, we haven't authenticated this. Yeah. Now, the other side of that, so that's for the real stuff, right? Yep. Now, the other side of that is the mid-journeys and the open AIs and the adobes of the world. When they are in the business of synthesizing images, audios, and videos, they do exactly the same thing, right? Because the difference between a camera and a generative AI is just the process. But you're there at the source. You fingerprint and watermark so that every piece of content that goes out into the wild can be identified. And the good news is this technology exists. Adobe has been working on this as ever called the Content Authenticity Initiative. It is part of a larger umbrella called the C2PA, the Coalition for Content Provenance and Authentication. And the idea is that the underlying technology and the specification has been agreed upon by thousands of private sector and academics like myself and people from civil society. And we are going to put that standard eventually into the synthesis engines and into these devices. And what I would do in my new position as czar is I would accelerate that process as quickly as possible because there's a lot of moving parts here. We've got the technology. We now have to get it integrated into all the synthesis engines and all the billions of devices. And then, of course, we need to get the social media companies to respect those signatures Mm. so that when Twitter gets a bombing in the Pentagon, they can say, look, we will only promote things that are authentic and we will demote things that are not. And I think I think of this, Danny, as a I call these necessary but not sufficient conditions. I think that they will get us a big chunk of the way there because everything is now going to be labeled real, fake, unknown. And then, but we still need cooperation from the Apples and the Googles for the device. We need the cooperation of Elon Musk, God help us all, and Mark Zuckerberg. And 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 I would essentially force that technology to be deployed as quickly as possible. Do you have a sense, like, you know, having, ha- I'm sure, ha- a bit of scar tissue from having, trying to get similar... Yeah common sense things like this through on social media for years do you have a sense of of the momentum there or is there any i think there's some good news and bad news here you're absolutely right that there is no indication for the last 20 years that there is any real appetite for this and with elon musk at the helm of twitter there's even less reason to be optimistic but i will say that i think the january 6th insurrection changed a, a way the way a lot of people thought about this I think the way we saw disinformation around COVID and climate change more recently has changed the way people think about this. And I think that there is real muscle behind the technology because thanks to Microsoft and Adobe and some other big manufacturers, um, camera manufacturers and hardware manufacturers. So I think there's some real muscle behind it. But I think we need a nudge from the government. I think the government has to step in and say, guys, and this would be this is what I've been advocating in my conversations on the Hill is I don't think you want to be in the business of banning content. I don't think you want to be in the business of banning technology. But labeling things is pretty neutral. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't stop innovation. And it, and frankly, it kicks the hard decisions down the road. Like, you know, will we allow deep fakes of president and president candidates? I, I don't know. But I don't have to make that decision right now. I just If everything is labeled, I can make sensible policy decisions downstream later on. So I would like to see the government step in and say, guys, if you are in the business of generating content, if you are in the business of recording um, real things, we're just going to ask for your help to try to figure out what's real and what's fake. And, it, and, and what's so great about this is the technology is there and it costs you nothing. 
There is no barrier to entry here. There's no reason not to do it. Yeah, and I imagine it's one of those things that's like, this reminds me of like the, the one piece of legislation that passed in social media, which was the the anti-sex trafficking stuff when they were like, this is going to be the end of social media. Yeah. This is impossible. You cannot police content that will potentially lead to sex trafficking. And the, there were penalties that, that real penalties for the social media platforms if they didn't do it. And they're like, if you do this, this is a slippery slope. Yes. We're going to have to take off tons of blah, blah, blah. And like not so the much. law passed and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Everything was fine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, this is the playbook, right? Let's go back to the 1970s when the government told car manufacturers to please, for the love of God, put seatbelts in the cars. Yeah. What did the automotive industry say? You are going to destroy American automotive industry. And it turns out that was a big fat lie. And not yeah. only did it not destroy it, it turns out people don't want to die when they get in their car. Safety became Funny. a feature. You yeah. got to charge people more money for a safer car. And I would contend, by the way, that social media is also missing the boat here, is that we want to be, most people want to be safe online. And what you're forgetting about is that you you are targeting a particular audience, and there's lots of people who don't want to be on your services because it's not safe. And so I completely agree with you, Danny. I'm glad you brought this up, is that this this the sky is falling argument is the mm. same playbook that you see over and over again, and it has never been true. They said that about copyright. They said that about child sexual abuse material. They said that about the sex trade. And by the way, outside of the U.S., um, when the Germans passed the Nets DG law, which put very strict rules on removing hate speech, same doomsday uh, scenarios, and they're just not true. The companies figure it out. Yeah. And then the the last bit of this, which I think is interesting, is this open versus closed debate. Yeah. The open, you know, open AI basically being like, we're not going to tell you how we build this, what our weights and measures are, how what data we use, but trust us, this thing could end humanity, but don't worry, we've got you. <laughs> versus, and, and the, the corollary to that argument is that open source is a danger to the world. Yeah. Because... It's ungoverned by any central authority and like it's this is all going to be very, very bad. This should be a kind of commercial enterprise that obviously we should control. So when you think about how this rolls out and again, that idea around enforcement or guardrails being put in place, how do you think about that? Man. I was really hoping you weren't going to ask me this question because this is a tough one. Um, so it let's is. let's play both sides of it. So certainly lots of great things come from open source, right? You wrestle technology away from the few and you put it into the hands of the many and it leads to innovations and this community. Yeah. And I mean, Linux is basically what the internet runs on. Yeah, and it's amazing. Lots of great yeah. things have come from that. On the other hand, there are real problems with open sourcing these types of technologies. So for example, Stable Diffusion, which is an, a text-to-image generator, is open source, um, which means that what I was telling you about with this, the Content Authenticity Initiative and the watermarking this and fingerprinting- This is exactly what I thought of when you were saying that. I yeah. can take that out. I can just go into the code and comment it out, and that's it, right? So the regulation part becomes a lot harder to enforce. Mm. And But on the other hand, if we say, well, only five tech companies that can afford you know, massive computing infrastructure can do this, that doesn't seem good either. No. And so I don't have a good answer to that. Now, I have one small bit of the answer to it, which let me just, because I think it's, it's sort of a cool nerdy little point here, which is that there's two ways of doing the watermarking. One way is you generate the content and then you have a little piece of code that injects the watermark. And if you open source that, well, then somebody's going to comment out that little bit, right? 
done. Now, there's another way to do it, which is you take the training data that the, 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 the systems were trained on and you poison them with watermarks. So every single image gotcha. that goes into your system has a watermark in it. And it turns out that the system then learns to inject a watermark into what comes out the other end. And it's not in the code. It's in the billions of parameters that you've open source. So that is a way of making it a little bit more secure. Now, I think there are other safeguards that you can do. You can say, for example, that there are parts of the code that are open source and parts that are not. You know, is it technically feasible or not? Does it still hold people back? I, I don't know. But I think we have to think about this very carefully. I mean, if, if I developed a, a physical technology that would say, tell you how to produce a deadly virus from the ingredients in your kitchen, nobody would think I should open source that because information wants yeah. to be free. So I think this idea of, well, we want everything to be open source because that's our that's our sort of philosophy. I think we have to start rethinking that because 20 years into this sort of you know modern internet, it turns out that there are some bad things you can do with technology. And I think what we have to start realizing is there's a place for open source and there may be a few places where we have to be more thoughtful about that. And I'm okay yeah. with that, but I also re recognize that reasonable people could disagree about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any predictions for the, the upcoming election? <laughs> yeah. that if, are there any kind of like, oh shit moments that you see coming when we're thinking about this this new AI era and basically free to produce high fidelity fakery? I, I don't like making predictions because I'm almost always wrong, but I think it's fair <laughs> to predict that we are going to see the role of generative AI in this election. I mean, we've already seen it, so that's not a tough prediction. I think the more interesting question is how much will it impact the election, right? But here's the thing that concerns me. If you look at the last election and the one before that and the one before that, on the electoral side, the difference between one candidate and the other can be measured in tens of thousands of votes, not millions of votes. So the margins are very thin. And when the margins are really thin, manipulating in three states and three towns, a handful of people can be the difference between one candidate or the other. And not that hard. It's not that hard to do it because of why? Social media, right? And, yeah. and so, again, I think you have to think about this generative AI in the larger context of what is already happening which is Russian interference, the campaigns themselves, trolls, people trying to make a buck by uh, pushing fake news. And, and I, it's hard to imagine that this is not going to have an impact on us. Did you watch Succession? You know, I did not watch that. I've got a, a, enough bad news and bad people in, in the real world. I don't need to watch it on TV. <laughs> the reason I ask is because uh, as you were laying out that one example, uh, basically – you know, it's they're the, this big kind of Fox News style news organization. And then on election night, there is a ballot counting facility that there's a fire. Nobody really knows what's happening, blah, 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 blah. But it's like you can imagine something like a few very well done bits of misinformation. And again, a few key yeah, districts. That's all it takes. Yeah. That's how, then you can be like, oh, well, this is happening in real time. There's three hours left at the polls. Oh, like, yeah. what, you know, there's so confusion and blah, 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 blah. And I, I think that's absolutely that right. And I think when the margins are thin and people are already polarized, they're prone to believe the worst in the people that they disagree with. I don't think it takes a lot to move people and discourage 10,000 people from voting because there's a fire at a polling station or because there's a tornado coming, shelter at home. 
right? Yeah, I think that's probably going to happen. And look, it's not, I don't think this is hard to imagine. We've seen all types of dirty tricks over the last few yeah. years. And so, yeah, I think it's probably coming. And I think the, the real question is, what is going to be the overall impact? And here's the other thing, too, is on the flip side of it, what's, let, let's say that we get through the election and somehow it's not awful, but the ability to deny the election results, which we already are seeing Trump doing, it, is going to be much easier now, right? And so that, yeah. you know, when, when we get into this world where we don't have confidence in our democracy and we don't trust our elected officials, we don't trust the media, we don't trust the experts, this is the beginning of the end of a society. I mean, this is, you don't... Yeah, it's, it's zero-cost bullshit equals zero trust. Exactly. And zero trust means, with a lot of guns, means some very bad things happening. So, as ever, after a conversation with you, I'm now going to pour myself a stiff drink. It's not even I, 11 a.m. you got to stop doing these things in the morning. we got to do these, like, at 5 <laughs> o'clock. We'll sit here with a nice bourbon. At least we'll have the bourbon to keep us comfort. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you, as ever, for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, hopefully none of these uh, dystopic scenes play out, but it does feel like we're going to get at least. Some. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong, Danny. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And that was all the time we have. This is me. This is not my bot. I just want to do that little stunt at the beginning just to show you what is possible here. But as you just heard, Lots of stuff is possible now that wasn't possible even, you know, some months ago. So it's pretty wild. I might be writing about this this weekend in the paper at thetimes.co.uk. I know I'll be writing about Apple's big, what they call it, the Vision Pro, the goggles um, that they came out with this week. Lots to unpack there, which I'll probably be doing over the next couple weeks as well. But if you want to read about that this weekend, do check out the paper. You can also find me online at Danny Fortson on Twitter. Or email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. Thanks very much. Really appreciate you listening as ever. And we'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 